John 1, 1 through 4, probably uh, many of you could quote this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Skip down to verse 9 if you would. That was the true light, speaking of Christ, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of, the, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. After 4,000 years, the first promise of the Bible was fulfilled when Jesus came to this earth and was born in a manger. First promise of the Bible from God uh, to men, first promise from God to men was, and I will put enmity, it's in the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, or crush thy head, speaking of the sermon, serpent, and thou shalt bruise his heel. When Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he came and he was born. Like we say, El Shaddai. Uh, he, he came to God's own, his own received him not. To the people of God, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so the Bible tells us, and here's our Christmas message today in verse 14, and the word, that's the eternal word. It was in the, in the beginning with God and was God and made all things. It was the light of life and, and the light of men. It says in verse 14 that the word, that word was made flesh, made flesh at a specific time and dwelt among us. And we beheld, these apostles are testifying, and John is one of them, the glory of the only, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can I tell you that it matters? It's essential to man's salvation. It's essential to the doctrine of Christianity, the incarnation of the Son of God. It's not just a little side note. It's not just a little, oh, that's for theologians to discuss and debate about. The incarnation, it means that the Lord, the eternal God, the eternal Son, you know, Jesus didn't just come onto the scene uh, into existence, let's put it that way, in a manger 2,000 years ago. He was the eternal Son of God. He stepped down out of heaven and robed Himself, was made flesh at that time. He already existed and didn't have to be made, but the Word was made flesh. At a specific time, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that is essential, the incarnation, and that's what that word means, of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. He became the Son of God and the Son of Man when He came to this earth. It's, it's uh, hard to fathom. It's hard to comprehend. I can't say I wrap my brain about, around it completely. I understand it. I believe it by faith. I know there's depths to it that I probably don't understand. But just picture eternity past, if you can, 
There's here's God that's always been. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Before him there was none. After him there will be none. He is eternal God, and the eternal Son of God stepped out of heaven at a specific moment and never ceased to be God. Yet he became man. He he laid aside his glory, what we would picture the glory that he has now in heaven and that he had before with his Father in heaven before he came to this earth. But the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's essential and it must be constantly affirmed in our own faith, in our own hearts, and it must be constantly affirmed in what we preach and proclaim to others. The Word made flesh. It's not a take it or leave it kind of scenario. This is like the resurrection. There would be no resurrection if there was no literal physical birth. And we're going to talk about that as well. It, it's got to be, it's, it's, a, it's an essential that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want to read this quote from an author I was studying. Our concept of Him, the Lord, Jesus specifically, cannot be overestimated because what He is determines what Christianity is, which stands or falls with Him. And all that He is in Himself is the cornerstone of the Christian faith, the key of the battle between faith and unbelief. All that who, who Jesus Christ is determines that he's the, he's the bedrock and the pillar. So what you believe and what I believe is, is the cornerstone of faith and unbelief. What I believe about Jesus specifically. And one of the things we must believe about Jesus because God's Word testifies to us about of Jesus is that He came in the flesh. The Word became flesh. I'm going to say it over and over this morning. And I want it to be in our hearts and understand the goodness of God, the, the power of God, the wisdom of God. We would never think of a plan like that. It would never enter our minds. You know, God being God and sinful men being sinful men. Just reach down and help them. You know, part of Red Sea for them. He, he did all those things and put them on the ark and so forth. But to really redeem men in their hearts. For men to become part of the family of God. They, not, they can actually commune with God for eternity. And fellowship him with Him for an ever, ever and ever. Sin that has separated us from our, our God. And yet to make us and bring us unto Himself in a righteous manner. We would have never have thought that. God actually becoming one of us. He's acquainted with our grief. He's acquainted with our sorrow. Because He, did, he knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. When they put the nails in Him, they hurt. He felt it. Okay? And He knew what it was like to be betrayed. By other people. And so this is the Lord identifying with us, yet being sinless and taking the sins of the world upon Him. It's an amazing thing. But it's, it's essential that we believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ the way the Bible says. It's essential. It's, it ought to be essential to our preaching or proclamation of this Gospel. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Now here's a test. Do you like tests? I do. There's so much uh, deception. I don't like taking tests. But a test or a standard to determine what's of God or what's not of God. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come. How? In the flesh. That's important, isn't it? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Just like we're of God, born of His Spirit. We're not of the world. Now that we're saved, we're of God. And every spirit that confesses that Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesses not 
if you're taking notes, 1 John 4, 2, and 3, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit, the one that doesn't confess it, of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And so the Lord takes it seriously. The Lord holds it up, the incarnation of Christ as a standard and the true confession. Remember that word confess doesn't just mean to say it. Repeat after me. Christ has come in the flesh. That's not the, the spirit okay, that he's speaking of. Every spirit that confesses. Well, the Bible says no man can say that Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. It is a true agreement with God. It is a confession of from our hearts. Yea and amen, I believe this. Okay? You might be mute and not be able to speak, but in your heart, you're professing it and believing it and confessing it. So you understand it's not just saying those words. It's a heartfelt, felt sincere belief that this is the truth. The eternal word becoming flesh, coming in human flesh to this earth, listen, to live a sinless life and to die a sacrificial death according to uh, God's Word and according to the prophets and according to the will and the plan of God to be that, that last, lasting, eternal, sufficient atonement for sin. You know that through the, the blood of bulls and goats that God required through the Old Covenant, He was kind enough to accept it. You understand that if I, if I lived under that system and I committed a sin against the Lord and transgressed something in God's law, and I was a God-fearing man and wanted to walk with God and walk with God, uh, I would commit this sin and I knew that I committed this sin. It was gracious of God to offer to give this law of, of trespass offerings that could be offered to God so that the person didn't just die. I, I lied, boom, fall over dead because I've transgressed God's law. Within even the Old Covenant, there was a provision for atonement means covering of sin. So those blood sacrifices offered by faith to God in accordance to the Word of God for those sins under that law, he would receive it and say, okay, I receive that as a covering. Now, did that anything in those offerings or anything in that law save the sinner eternally? No, it did not. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him. And he lived before the law. It was counted to him for righteousness. David knew, uh, you know, the blood of bulls and goats and burnt offerings, that's not really what you want. What you desire is the sacrifices of a contrite heart that's acceptable to God. Because the Lord, if you wanted the burnt offerings, I would give it. But I know what you really need. And he says, with you there's mercy that you might be feared. With you there's forgiveness of sins. You have washed my sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west. Now they lived under the law and God made a provision through the blood of animals to be a covering. That's what atonement means to where the person could continue to be a worshiper of Jehovah. They didn't die. They weren't cut off from the people of God. They weren't forbidden from coming into the tabernacle they would, I mean, or the temple. If they sinned, they offered the blood sacrifice. God accepted it. They still had to be saved by faith. Like Abraham, like Noah, like David, like Samuel, like Isaiah. You'd never find one of those Old Testament saints that say, I was saved by the law. I offered enough sacrifices of goats and bulls, and that did it for me. They're all saved by faith, even under the law. But 
thank the Lord is right. And then God sent His own Son to be the propitiation. That's a, a biblical word. It means the atoning victim. Atoning victim of the world. No more blood of bulls and goats. No more sacrifices of blood. He doesn't require it. He doesn't delight in it. It's not necessary when you and I commit a sin because what the blood of Jesus did is sufficient. It's sufficient for all people, for all time, for all for the future, forever and ever, forever. What does God require now? That by faith we give our life to Jesus and we're saved. And what does He require of a saved man? Present your body. You want to give a sacrifice to God? Present, we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Here I am. And you set your whole self up on the altar. It's not something you have that you put up there. Could be things in your life that you have. But what He delights in and what is required of us is even more than in the Old Testament. We're to give ourselves and put ourselves up on that altar. And anything that's on the altar is going to die. And it's laid out before the Lord. It belongs to Him. And we give ourselves to the Lord in that way. This is possible because of what God's wonderful plan to come. It's marvelous. It's the Lord's doing, the, the psalmist said. He just sometimes, you know, you just have to stop and what can I say? I can't put in words. It's the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes, he said. It is marvelous. The Word becoming flesh, the whole plan of salvation, the atonement. It, this truth is a pillar of the Christian faith. This truth and this biblically testified fact of the incarnation of Jesus is at the very heart of the Christian faith. And it's not necessary that you and I be able to name the twelve disciples. It would be wonderful if we could. It's not necessary that we are able to name the, uh, the twelve tribes of Israel. Or you sit here and it's necessary that you give me, tell me all the details of Paul's three missionary journeys and where he went on each one and which ones he skipped on the last one and so forth. That's not necessary. It's wonderful to know it. But it is necessary that we believe the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is something we have to believe. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That is the spirit of Antichrist. It's what John said in 1 John chapter 4. We read it. And so, in fact, we have no actual Christianity, no true Christianity, no church of the living God, where Christ is the head of it, as we mentioned earlier, no saving of men's souls, no atonement for the sins, if, in fact, the Word was not made flesh and dwelt among us. We don't have it. There's no Christian faith if that didn't happen. Now, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. I'll give you where I'm reading from. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 15, 7 and Luke 2, 11 and 12. Just for time's sake, I want to go ahead and start. After that, this is Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians 15 of the recounting of Christ coming to the earth and the, God, and the true gospel. After that, he was seen of James, then of the apostles, and over 500 uh, at once after the resurrection. This is uh, what true Christianity is. It speaks of the fact that Jesus Christ was born. How? According to the Scriptures. That He died and was buried according to the Scriptures. This is where people get off. This is where 
uh, cults come from. And I would call them Christian cults. They're not real Christianity, but they're based off of the Bible or Christianity. It's some, some other uh, Jesus that's not really completely 100% this Jesus of the Scriptures. They use Jesus in a lot of the Scriptures, but they make some other religion out of that. But Paul is saying, no, the Gospel is this. The Gospel by which you, by which you were saved, you Corinthians, and, and the Gospel in which you now stand, firm and solid as believers, is this Gospel. That Jesus Christ was born or came to this earth according to the Scriptures. And that He died and was buried according to the Scriptures. And He rose again the third day. And He said He was seen of these. Now how could He be seen if He never came and had a... How could He die on a cross if He never had a, a body with which to die in? We're going to talk about that more as we go. It says in Luke chapter 2, 11 and 12, and this is a Christmas passage. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The angelic host. You could just try to picture it. I really can't. The glory of it has to be way more than I can picture in my mind. But they're just simple shepherds on a hillside. To them, it's just a night and they're watching their sheep. That's what they do at night. And they're out by themselves, out, out of town on a hillside. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And it must have lit up the sky, not just like a Q-beam or a flashlight or even turned on some parking lot lights out here at night, but it lit up the sky. And the angel spoke to them this good news. Unto you is born this day. So he's born. Talking about the word becoming flesh. In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Not a spirit, but a babe. Okay? He came in the flesh. Flesh. In human form. Not a spirit only, but a babe. A baby. Not a movement, not a theory, not a thought, not even an angel or a prophet, but the Son of God. Sinless, yet in human flesh. A babe lying in a manger. This is a wonderful scripture. I'd like you to turn with me and, and read this one um, with me, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read a few scriptures there, but Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Hebrews 10, 5. Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Now that is quoted from a Messianic psalm in the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus. But you see here, He says, A body thou hast prepared me. Verse, uh, Hebrews 10, 7 and 9. Skip down there. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will. This is Jesus speaking. O God, I come to do your will above when he saith sacrifices and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will. O God, he taketh away the first that he may establish the second. But do you see this in, in verse five where he says he prepared a body Hast thou prepared me a body? Now, in one sense, you could say that the church body and Christ is the head, and I don't think that would be wrong. But I do believe, in the context of Hebrews, what's being spoken of was the our, our atonement, and it was contrasting what Jesus did 
through his death and his blood and his priesthood and the forgiveness that comes through him compared to what was accomplished under the, the sacrifice of the old covenant and those blood sacrifices of animals. And so he says, a body thou hast prepared me. What is that saying? That's saying that Christ came in the flesh. That God the Father <coughs> prepared and provided. He pre prepared and provided a body to be the final all-sufficient atoning sacrifice for the sins of, of the world. <coughs> Specifically in His Son, Jesus Christ. It had to be the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to accomplish this work, to satisfy God's righteous requirements and demands. It had to be. It could not be another goat or a bull or a million more goats and bulls to really satisfy the holiness of God and the righteous requirements and demands of a holy God. It had to be a sinless sacrifice to make atonement for sinners. We have no part in it other than to believe, to confess and believe in our heart. Yes, you did it. Thank you for doing it. I couldn't do it. I didn't do it. I could never have done it. I haven't done it. You did it. And it's believing and putting our trust in Him, the sinless Lamb of God. Not a good man, not even a godly man, but the God-man. The God-man. Not a superhero who can morph into something else. God eternal, robing Himself in a, in a limiting Himself in a sense to a human body. And living 33 and a half years that way. It's an amazing thing what the Lord's done for us. Love didn't save us. Not religion didn't save us. Uh, not a kind spirit. God Almighty saved us when He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and be that atonement for the sins of the world. The Bible says what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. In the likeness, you see, of sinful flesh. That's how we chose to do it. It's marvelous in our eyes. I don't even know that I get it in all, I understand it all perfectly now. Why did it have to be that way? How is it that way? I don't have to concern myself with that. As I go through life, I believe the Holy Spirit will teach me more and more and give me a deeper understanding. But the point is, I do believe it. I believe it. Not blindly, I believe it according to the Word of God. And according to the Spirit of the truth, it is my teacher in my heart and gives me understanding. Say, believe this, Randy, it's true. The Holy Spirit says that and bears witness in our heart. But it's an amazing thing what the Lord did. The Jehovah's Witnesses, you might have friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses or families or you've had them knock at your door before and uh, come and talk to you. And they're going to say, well, we're Christian too. They're not. That would, that's what I would call a Christian cult. That's something that's based on the Bible or their translation of the Bible and has probably 98% of the same things that we believe, but it's off on Jesus Christ Himself. Okay? And I'll give you an example. My, my job is not to ridicule or mock. My job is to say that's not what the Bible teaches. Steer clear of it. Don't swallow it. Don't say it's okay. Don't go with it because the Jehovah's Witness tells you to go with it or with the Watchtower translation of the Bible. They had to write their own Bible to make their own religion. Okay? And it does not say in John 1.1, 1, 1, which we open with today, 
in the Watchtower Bible. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same that's in the beginning with God. The Watchtower Tower translation, because they have to change it, because they don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, or that He was uh, this actually deity in the flesh, they had to change their Bible to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And it's one tiny little word there that makes all the difference in the world. It wasn't a God, He was God. He was the Word. The Word became flesh. Not some Word became flesh or some spirit. The Word, the Word, that made all things. That's God Almighty. The Eternal Son became flesh and dwelt among us. It matters what we believe, y'all, about the re- uh, that they don't believe that it was Jesus Christ that died on the cross. They believe that it was Angel Gabriel who took on the form of Jesus at this specific moment, and then after he came off the cross, he turned back into Gabriel. Okay? That's not what the Bible tells us. You couldn't find that anywhere in the Bible. We find Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. The Word who became flesh. The Muslims don't believe that Allah has a Son. He's one God. Not a trinity. We believe in one God in three persons. Perfect in Himself. Perfect in unity. Not divided. We don't worship three gods. And paganism. We worship one God in three persons. The Muslims believe in one God who had no sons. So they could certainly don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Oh, but you talk to some Muslim who's wanting to be... Uh, Accepted, or maybe to deceive you or to make you feel like we're all basically the same and we all worship the same God. And a Muslim will tell you, we, we hold Jesus in high regard and high esteem and Mary as well. They don't believe He was the Son of God. It's a sin to believe under Islam that Allah had any sons. He, didn't, he wasn't God in the flesh. What we believe about this, I think the Lord knows what He's doing. I know the Lord knows what He's doing. When He says... Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. They can have all the other trappings of Christianity all around and you pin them on this point and they say, no, I don't believe that. We have to believe that. You're going to miss heaven if you don't believe that. You're going to die in your sins if you don't believe that. Not because I say so, but because the Word of God says so. This is what He teaches us. In His Word, I'm glad that He does. We could go on and on. The Mormons. The Mormons believe not in this miraculous conception where the Holy Spirit came upon a virgin and here comes out of that the Lord uh, birthed His Son, Jesus Christ. That which is conceived is of the Holy Ghost. They believe that Elohim, this the Mormons believe, had a physical relationship with Mary and here comes Jesus who was not unique in the sense that He is the only begotten of the Father. Under Mormonism, we're all gods. We're all becoming like Jesus is. Jesus was like we are at one time. And all men are evolving to become these gods. And we'll planet, uh, populate our own planets one, one day. It's not the same Jesus it doesn't, I'm not saying that you don't have people that you know that are these things and we shouldn't be, that are these religions and hold to these beliefs and that we shouldn't be kind to them. I'm saying we shouldn't believe that and we should not uh, give heed to it. Don't give it a second thought. Don't entertain it to see if maybe it's true. It's a lie. And that's how we're deceived when we begin to entertain it. Put it out. 
Love, love people enough to tell them the truth. You might lose their friendship or whatever relationship you had, but we do owe that to men. Some preachers say we don't owe any man anything but the gospel. And, and that would be the truth of the incarnation of Jesus as well. Our God promised a savior for mankind. He so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. Begotten. I looked it up just so we would know. Begotten means only begotten means only born child. Okay, not an angel, but his a child. And I want to read this as well from Matthew uh, one chapter one verses twenty one through twenty three. And she shall bring forth a son. This is Gabriel speaking to Joseph. This was new to him. He was engaged or a spouse to Mary. They hadn't been married yet. And angels, the angel spoke to Mary. The angel spoke to Joseph. Thank the Lord. He showed them both what was going on. Amen. And, and said, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophets, specifically Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Um, one more scripture right here. I'm going I'm to read this, or we can all turn to read the Hebrews chapter 2. We're talking about the importance, y'all, of the, the birth of Jesus. That it actually was God in the flesh, Son of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, and then we'll skip down. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Specifically, He wasn't made, but Jesus, the person Jesus on the earth, a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he was, is not ashamed to be called their brethren. Let's keep reading. I want to read all the way through the end of this chapter. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that would be us. He also, that's Christ himself, likewise took part of the same, same what? Of flesh and blood. This is it's a doctrine. It's, this is how we build a doctrine. Scripture upon scripture, line upon line. We have John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have Hebrews um, 10 that we read, a body thou hast prepared for me. We have this passage right here that the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And so you see the importance of him coming in the flesh, that by him dying a sinless life, for the sins of the world, that he's saying I can destroy, I'm, that's how I'm going to destroy the power of the devil and of death that has this hold over men and deliver them which through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to help them that are tempted. Thank the Lord he came in this human form. This was his plan. This was his way. And y'all, he fulfilled it. He did it. We're having Christmas time. Let's remember. I know we remind ourselves. You remind me and I remind y'all what it's all about. I don't care if you don't get one single present or anything that you wanted. It doesn't matter. We were watching Charlie Group Brown Christmas the other night. You know, and he figured it out. Linus told him the truth. You want to know what it's all about? And he quotes uh, from, from Luke chapter 2. And about the shepherds coming and saying there's a Savior born. And that is what it's all about. The Word becoming flesh. God promised the Savior the Deliverer. The prophets of God foretold this glorious first coming. The miraculous coming of earth to earth. The Bible says, uh, unto us a child is given. When was that written? Most Bible scholars say about 750 years, rough, give or take. Now put that in context, our country is about not even 250 years old. But about 750 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet said that unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be wonder, called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. I don't get it. He's a son that's born in a babe, but he's the Everlasting Father. It's an amazing thing. I can believe it. He's my God. And I can trust Him and believe what He says. When He says a child is born, guess what? We don't have to know the Hebrew to know what that means. But I'll tell you just in case, child in the Hebrew, unto us a child is born. Child here is something born. A lad. A boy. An offspring. A son. A young one. Okay? Not only a spirit, though the spirit was upon Christ like no other, but not only a spirit came, he, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How does, how does, where does it go from there? What does God want to say about the mind of Christ? Who being equal with God, thought it not, who being God thought it not equal to be, robbery be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What did he choose? He chose to lay aside the glory. I wouldn't say he, lay, he didn't lay aside his deity, because he never stopped being who he was as God. But he lay aside the glory and humbled himself and contained himself within a frail human body, but not a sinful nature like every other human being with the nature of Adam and that sin nature. He was born of a virgin. The Holy Ghost came upon a virgin and, and he was born sinless and lived a sinless life. It's just amazing. Denying that the word, the word Jesus came in the flesh in a human form is actually a complete denial of the deity of Christ. 
And as I said, a lot of Christian cults and a lot of other religions, they'll say, oh, we believe in Jesus and we hold Jesus in high regard. They don't believe He was God in the flesh. There are people in liberal, liberal uh, theologians in our day that are heads of Christian colleges or heads of Christian denominations and churches and pulpits that are Christian that don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells us that. I believe it. I'm glad I believe it. Amen? And I'm glad His Word tells me that and you and I need to believe it. And you say, well, of course I believe that. Of course I believe the Word became flesh. But many do not. Okay? Many do not. Many don't give it a second thought. Like a lot of doctrinal things. What's the big deal? They don't want to think about it. And they just kind of blow it off. It's to their own peril. Because God gave us sound doctrine for our lives. It's for our safety. It's not for our head knowledge. It's for our safety. Just like the, the walls around us right now are for our, for our protection if it started storming right now. The walls of sound doctrine are for our lives. I don't have to think if they got metal studs in this wall or wood studs. Okay, probably metal. I don't know. But the point is... <clears throat> It does matter. It matters to our lives, to our walk with God. Don't let somebody ridicule you and say, you're so hung up in doctrine. You know, these, these that are getting off in, into other doctrines today and authors and speakers, and they ridicule people like you and me. They really do. We're just a good joke for them. They have 10,000 people in their church, and we have this many. But you know what? I want to be with God and with the people of God. And with the truth. And the Lord can add so many to His church as He wants to. But <clears throat> they're going to say, oh, you doctrine police. You're just worried about doctrine. I am, I'm at a doctrine police. And so are you. Because that's what we're called to be. The Word of God tells us that. Timothy, he's about, Paul's about to die. And he says, I charge you before God Almighty. And Jesus Christ, His Son, is going to judge the quick and the dead as it coming and is appearing. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Okay? And so we, we preach it. We live it. We walk in it. And part of that sound doctrine is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Word becoming them flesh. They're, they're becoming flesh. There are many that call themselves Christian that don't believe that. I didn't set it up as a, a standard or a pillar. The Lord set it up as a standard or pillar of the Christian faith. And so people say, what's it matter? I believe in the spirit of Christmas. You know, things like that. Do you believe in the Jesus of Christmas? The one who came, okay? It's His birthday, supposedly, that we're celebrating. So uh, what's it matter? It matters. It matters to God. It matters to men. It matters to you and me. And I'm bringing this to a close. It matters what we believe about Jesus Christ. Do we believe the truth, the Bible says, as it is in Christ Jesus. The, the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. Not the Spirit of God. I know there is a Spirit of God, but not just the Spirit of Christmas and so forth, but that Christ came in the flesh. Do we believe and affirm God's testimony? His record of His Son? Because we talk about it often. That's the one that matters. I, I can say anything I want about anybody I want, and it not be true. But God has given a record of His Son. He says in the beginning was the Word. His, his says the Word was God. 
And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's not another prophet. I thank God for the wonderful prophets. So much more godly than, than I am. You know, that he did send to this earth. And Noah and Samuel and, and, and Isaiah and all through. But Jesus was not a sinful man that was godly and used by the Lord. He was God in human form. The Word becoming flesh. I want to read this. Uh, just a couple more scriptures, y'all, before we close. Without controversy, Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the first part of the mystery that he tells us in this scripture. God was manifest. That means made apparent or made clear or showed himself. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come. What is the fullness of time? According to God, it's in his perfect timing. Fullness of time to God is when the exact time he says it's ready. It's time. Okay? In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. It doesn't say made of a man and woman. Because that would have brought the sinful nature of Adam. Okay? Made of a woman. Made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. What a blessing. Okay? What an awesome thing we have in the Lord's coming to this earth. And we need to believe that with joy. Our God and Creator loved and loves us, sinful fallen men, and because of His great love, He desires and longs for us to be right with Him. You love your children, even if they have done a million things wrong and cursed at you. I'm just making up a scenario. You still love them, and what a parent wants is for that relationship to be healed. They want that, that reconciliation to be made, to make things right between me and the estranged party. My child, my child, and God's no different, but His love is much different and perfect. But because He loved, He didn't just love and love and love. He loved and did something. He gave. He so loved the world that He gave. What did He give? A plan of salvation. Not only He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Something born, right? That's what begotten means. His only. And we're all sons of God now by faith, but we're not all sons of God like Jesus, the eternal Son who was God and is God. The second person, person of the Godhead to redeem us unto Himself. And the Bible says He came into His own as a whole of the Jewish people. Okay? And His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. <clears throat> I'm going to close with this thought. It's like a little poem or a little, a little writing, I guess you would say, about Jesus and his first coming. The Ancient of Days becoming a babe at Bethlehem. And it's just for us to consider him who thunders in the heavens, crying in a cradle, him who gives to all their meat in due season. Sucking at a mother's breast. Him who made all flesh, now made of flesh. 
Him who could summon legions of angels while wrapped in infant's clothes. The mighty God, now a helpless child. God and man becoming one person. No wonder one of the old uh, divines said, I can scarce get past His cradle in my wondering to wonder at His cross. You know, this is a man of God that's just meditating. I, I can't... How does that work? How does God have to have somebody help Him and feed Him and clothe Him and you know, raise Him? And He's God who knows all things. The only wise God is a little helpless, newborn, one-hour-old baby in a cradle. Uh, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. He says, My mind can scarce get past the, cr- the cradle in wondering to wonder at His cross. The infant Jesus is in some views a greater marvel than Jesus with the purple robe and the crown of thorns. And I would agree with that. You know, Seeing Him as a king, you would almost picture Him as a king. He ought to be king. He's sitting on a throne. He's ruling with the reign of a rod of iron over all nations and all people like He's going to do in the millennium. And yet, Him in a manger, being helpless and having to have parents take care of Him is, is a whole other uh, story. It's almost hard to comprehend it. But I thank the Lord for, uh, for His coming. I thank the Lord that, that the Word did become flesh and dwell among us. I thank the Lord that as many as believe Him and receive Him, to them gives He power. So there's something really to that belief. It's not like we say, I believe it's Sunday today, or I believe it's two days before Christmas. That's not going to change my life. But this belief, to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And so look, can we just stand and worship the Lord this morning? And our, our altar's going to be open. While you're coming, I just want to read some thoughts. William's coming, and William, you can just go and start playing softly if you would. Um, but y'all, we have our new altar up here. It's not enough room for everybody, but I do pray that everybody would take time uh, to meet with the Lord for a few minutes here today before we leave. But the Bible says that uh, in the Old Testament, y'all, that the tabernacle, God says you, you make this tabernacle according to, to Moses, according to the pattern that I showed you in heaven. So Moses sees this pattern and says, build it. And, and not only will I be some pillar of cloud by day, day and a pillar of fire by night, I want to be in the midst of my people where people can approach me and come to me. And isn't that really what Jesus in the flesh did? It's like that tabernacle was a picture, a type of shadow of God dwelling, and that's what tabernacle means, among people. He wants to tabernacle among us. In order to do that, He's not just thundering down commands or instructions from on high. He became one of us. Not with a sinful nature, but He's in all points acquainted with our sorrows and infirmities and weaknesses and griefs. He wants to tabernacle among us. Any God of another religion, they want to be God and just reign over the people without any relationship there. God chose in that tabernacle of the Old Testament and the covenant and all the types and shadows which we've studied in Hebrews. It's saying that God wants to dwell with us. Well, He tabernacled Himself in a, and robed Himself in a fleshly body and came and lived on this earth and died a real death. Now, he laid it down when he chose, but it still was a real death 
a real, real human body, not a sinless body, but a real human body. And he died and rose from the dead the third day. It's just showing, it's Emmanuel, right? God with us. It's showing he wants to be with us. That's what the, the Christmas story is really saying. He wants to be with us. And the significance of him being born in a human, in a human form uh, is just an amazing thing. And that was through that body that he purchased our redemption. The, the work of redemption was finished through that body. So Father, Lord, I don't claim to understand it all. You said without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I don't claim to understand it fully, but I do believe it. And I do understand to the extent you've allowed me to understand God. But Lord, I thank you that said that God was manifest in the flesh. And Lord, forgive us, forgive me for at Christmas time, even just thinking the spirit of Christmas and the warmth of Christmas, or I like the cold weather and I like the parties and, and the fellowship and even thinking about it. But Lord, <clears throat> we, want to, we want our hearts to be fixed upon Christ and on this truth of who you are, the eternal word becoming flesh. And, and John says, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Lord, we worship you here this morning. Lord, that's what the wise men did. They came and worshiped. That's what the shepherds did. They went and found this news to be true that the angels told them about. And Lord, we want to worship you, Father. We want to fall on our knees, God. You're so awesome, and yet you chose to be in that form like we are. Thank you that you choose to be with us, Emmanuel. Can you just find your place to meet with the Lord? Oh, you, you get ready to have Christmas Eve and Christmas dinner and Christmas Day and everything that's going on. Can we take this time for a few minutes, just you and the Lord, and meet with Him and call upon Him and let Him speak to your heart? In Jesus' name, amen.